Welcome to the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with internationally performed composer and seasoned music educator. After 17 years of teaching music in the classroom in South Florida and going through four music director job transitions in two different schools, as well as general music, choir and two-string orchestra positions, Adrian realised there was a gap in his music education training. Even though his undergraduate and graduate programmes were musically and pedagogically extensive, he never felt as though they touched on those hard-to-navigate areas of transitioning between jobs. In addition to teaching, Adrian is the founder of Leap Year Music Publishing, which publishes string music for elementary, middle and high school ensembles. His compositions appear on the Florida, Texas, Maryland and Georgia Orchestra Association Music Performance Assessment lists. His compositions are distributed through J.W. Pepper and have been performed throughout the world. He takes pride in creating music that is fun and pedagogically sound at all levels. Adrian received his BA in Music from the University of Miami and his Master's Degree in Music Education at Florida International University. Born and raised in Miami, Florida, he currently resides in Charlotte with his wife, Kelly, and her two sons. On today's podcast, we'll be chatting about transitioning to a new music teaching job. And a very well welcome to the podcast, Adrian Gordon. How are you today, Adrian? I'm good. Thank you so much, David. Happy to be here with you. Oh, my, my pleasure. So let's get this started. Where are you right now on planet Earth? Okay, well, I am in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I just recently moved here. Um, at the in the summer of 2022, um, and I've been here almost a year now, um, and I'm teaching orchestra for grades five through twelve in a nice school here, a nice private independent school called Providence Day School. So I'm very happy to be here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, cool. So make everybody jealous. I know it's summertime in Europe, so probably not too jealous. But what's the temperature like at the moment? You can give it to me in Fahrenheit. <laughs> yes, right now it's 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, nice. Is it sticky there? Is it like the humid humidity? No, it's a, it's a nice, cool uh, cool day, nice breeze, um, no humidity. So oh, cool. Okay, nice. that's, that's really like there. In Ireland at the moment, we have our we have our suntan cream out, factor 50, because anytime uh, it gets to the 15 no. degrees, 16 degrees Celsius, it's uh, summer. Summer has arrived, so we, uh, okay. we're not used to the sunshine here. So I've, I gave a bit of an introduction about your background. So can you let mm-hmm. listeners know a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, well, I, I'm a musician, and uh, I've been studying and playing music since I was a kid, but... I'm a teacher, music educator, I'm a composer, I'm a conductor, um, I'm a clinician. So I do all of that. And um, right now, I just became an author of my book called Note to Self, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, But I started playing music when I was probably, what, eight or nine years old. I started uh, singing and mimicking my, my mom on piano and, you know, from there... I just I picked up other instruments and it's stuck with me and I got that itch to compose and create music for ensembles, for string ensembles and full orchestra ensembles and it's just kind of stuck with me and it's been a passion of mine ever since. And your mom, I mean, did it, how did your mom start off then? So if she was with the piano, is it in the family? Yeah, it's in the family. So my, my parents are from Jamaica and, and her upbringing they didn't have a choice they had to play so okay. it's just a, a, a requirement that they played so she grew up learning uh, to play the piano and um when i was young i would just sit and watch and i loved listening to her play and when she would get up from the piano to go and cook i would you know sit right right down behind her and try and imitate what she was doing and i just i loved the sound of all the chords and keys being played and it was just um i don't know it was something that stuck with me and it it stuck with me to this day so and and was there a specific sound because for me as i mean i'll be honest with you i haven't got a note on my head i'm (laughs) i'm i like listening to music i have i'm a big fan of um eminem I like i like you know some certain pop music some music from the 70s or 80s but what do you hear i mean to make it, to make you kind of love it. I mean, it probably sounds very weird, but do you know when you compose a song or you write music, what do you actually 
hearing is it a natural ability are you hearing something that i i don't hear if you know what i mean yeah that it's kind of the weird thing about composers <laughs> if you <laughs> if you think about it you're actually hearing things in your head all the time and it's just i always say it's a matter of how loud do you want it to get in your head before you actually write it down and get it flushed out of you so yeah i, I do hear those things in my head and um you know, it could be the slightest thing that, that trips it. So, like, maybe it's listening to a bird sing or the way a, a, an engine revved or, you know, there's so many different things. The, the way an inflection point in, in somebody's speech, it, it triggers a, an idea for a melody. So there's so many different um, sources, I guess, that inspire me to write music. Um and yeah, when, you, it, when you hear these tones or these sounds, do you write them down immediately or do you think, oh, that'll be good? Or is it just yeah, consistent all the time? Is it consistent all the time? You might hear something every day, but then something kind of sparks and goes, oh, that's really good. Yeah, I hear things a lot. And what I've started doing um, is I've started just using voice memos. And I'll put the, the I'll sing the idea into the voice memo on my phone so that I have it and I can kind of lock it in and uh, come back to it and kind of manipulate it later. Maybe I uh, I add some notes to it. I slow it down or you know whatever I want to do to make it more musically accessible. Um, but that's what I tend to do. So I I have a, a bank of these ideas going on, and that doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes um, you know I'll be commissioned to do work. So I'm I'm just finishing a commission. Uh, for a youth organization out in uh, New York. And uh, that one is, it's a little bit different because they want me to come up with a piece from, you know, for second grade all the way through high school. And it's a full orchestra piece. And the inspiration was just the theme of uh, stop violence and show kindness. Right. So that was, that was really cool. And in the way that this project worked was I was able to sit with the students on um on zoom and talk with them about their ideas what they felt the music should sound like um what instrumentation it should be so i got to sit down with all these kids and talk with them about that i got to hear their improvisations they they created some improvisations and that kind of inspired my composition process i got to um see some written uh mini compositions from them and see if that inspired my my compositional process as well. So all these sources helped me to come up with an idea, a larger work. Um, and I'm really excited about this. First time I've done something like that, where it's all encompassing with so many different uh, source source materials. And um, I'm excited. It's going to be premiered on um, May 19th, which is tomorrow. Actually. Oh wow! So you're busy. You're a busy man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's exciting which is really good so i mean do you ever get a time adrian where you know you're you're teaching say the the talent of tomorrow so to speak and i mean one question first question is is it easy to train somebody to play musical instruments so to speak and do you ever get a day where you're like Unfortunately, this individual has no chance. <laughs> be honest. Be honest. <laughs> I think anyone, well, it's interesting because I think we all have some kind of instinctual uh, pull towards music. Right. You know, when you look at, when you look at toddlers and they just start singing, nobody tells them, you know, they just do it. Yes. No one's teaching them. So it's instinctively there now. Just it's a matter of how far you want to perfect it. How how far do you want to refine it? Um, that's another question. So I think anyone can access the uh, the craft of music, but the refinement that's another story. And is that part easy? In some cases, I think it depends on the temperament of who you're teaching. Right. Um, if they have a good attitude about it and they're excited and they're engaged and it's something that they want to do, um, it becomes easier. And there's methodologies to how you can present and communicate the material to them. Um, but for, for the most part, I would say everyone can access it. Um, temperament has a lot to do with it. And then there's just some natural talent. You, you know, you see, I've seen some kids, I, I, I have a fifth grade student right now and she is so natural on the viola. 
And I haven't seen this in a long, long time. It's so natural. And I, I've, I've tried to explain that to her, but she doesn't, you know, she's a beginner. She doesn't understand that. Right. But she plays so fluidly and it's just, it's fun to watch her play because she's only a beginner and she's creating this beautiful tone on the instrument and she doesn't even know she's doing it. Wow. <laughs> so, so it's a gift. It's kind of like, it's it's just a natural yeah. type of gift. I mean, what what is, for, for people in different countries, what is a fifth grader? What age are we talking about for a fifth grade? Or what, school, what level oh, of school so, is that is? So we're talking age 10 uh, to age right. 11. Okay, so primary school kind of over here in yes in in, yes. in, in Europe, so to speak. And um, you mentioned temperament there. Is there any tantrums then if people are getting frustrated or students are getting frustrated? And if they are, what do you kind of, with your experience and your knowledge, recommend to mm. them to kind of keep it nice and cool and calm and you know <laughs> keep working at it? Well, I, I you know sometimes there's tantrums, but I would say for the most part in my field there's become there's a lot of apathy has developed uh, especially with the technological age where there's instant gratification on devices right uh, particularly through covid when there's so much instant gratification you hit a button and you get a result that is not the, the case for instrumental music there is a certain degree of discipline and commitment that has to happen over a longer period of time so that's been a battle uh not necessarily the, the tantrums but the apathy and the uh, you know fighting against the desire for instant gratification right that's that's difficult in, in young kids because they don't really see the big picture and how much this is going to help them and how it benefits them and their their, their brain development um that's a little tricky um but what we do to combat that, you know, you, you've got to be engaging. A buddy of mine um, and I, we call it edutainment. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the buzzwords, edutainment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, you're trying your best to keep them engaged, keep them satisfied by playing music that's accessible, accessible to them. And um, maybe some pop tunes or some uh, soundtrack music. Uh, you know, so whatever you can do to keep them engaged, but keep them learning, right. you know, that's what we've got to do. So let's move back then to you to give others inspiration, Adrian. So how how long did it take you to train to be where you are now? So you went to high school, uh, mm-hmm. you, you went to college, um, you know, you got fully qualified, but I'm sure the craft doesn't stop there. You have to keep on going. Yeah, you know, that was one of the mistakes that I think I, I made as I graduated from college, from university. I, I thought, oh, I'm done. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. You're, 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 never, you're never really done. You know, there's always more to learn. And I didn't realize that until about a year or so after being done at the university. Um, and that's when I kicked things into high gear and I started really studying more so than I, I did in college because you realize there's just so much you don't know yeah um so yeah it, it's taken me a while I, I you know i studied music in my uh elementary level i studied music in my middle school and high school level and i also studied at the university um but i continue to study i continue to learn i continue to listen as well um and of course I practice, you know, I practice my instrument. I, I look forward to the time I get to spend on the instrument and getting better and, you know, just progressing and increasing my skill level, but it's a, it's a nonstop uh, battle and journey, I guess. Yeah. But you're doing great. I mean, that's, that's why you're here. It's, it's, it's brilliant. So yeah. let's move then into talk about like music for dummies as if you're talking to me let's get down to <laughs> basic level so yeah. can you explain the difference between a composer and a conductor now the reason i asked for the conductor part because mm-hmm. we see in the orchestra or the movies and the hands are mm-hmm. waving and it's as if they're swatting flies at times or they're blowing against uh, the wind yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you're, kind of, you're wondering and, and I have seen it and I've watched it like what, who are they looking at or what are they looking at or so you have the composer who comes up with all the music um, they write it down they put it on paper 
and it's now accessible. What you, what the composer was hearing in their head is now accessible to other musicians. Now the conductor comes along and they're the communicator, they're the interpreter. They're gonna tell you because of their experience how to best play this music um, with keeping in mind the intentions of the composer. Right. So that's what they're doing. And when when they're up there on the podium and they're waving their arms around, I know it looks like uh, <laughs> chaos, it but it's actually, <laughs> it's actually quite organized. What they're doing is they're waving their arms to a pattern. Right. Um, they're, they're giving each and every one of the musicians a pattern. And all the musicians are trained to watch the conductor and follow his lead. Um, so he'll give a pattern that everyone's going to you know, steadily fall follow and then um he's also going to give cues for nuances like maybe uh dynamic or volume increases or uh maybe for articulation so showing you how exactly to play these notes maybe it's really really short or really heavy um so all these little nuances and cues that the director or the conductor is giving um to make the music come alive and make the intention of the composer uh, really, really come alive. So will the conductor at any time face away from the orchestra or should the conductor always be facing towards the orchestra? Uh, typically they will face the orchestra, but sometimes they, when you get crowd participation, they will conduct the, uh, the crowd as well. If it's something that the crowd already knows. Right. Um, and, and the orchestra is able to follow along. They're, you know, they're professional musicians. They can keep a beat. Right. Um, but for the so, most part, you'll see conductors, they'll stand up in front of the ensemble on the podium and they will conduct the musicians. So they don't freak out the orchestra. So you don't have like a the newbie in the corner who's on the violin or, you know, it's kind of like, why, why has the conductor turned away? What do I do now? But as you said yourself, no. they're well trained. They know exactly what's, what's going on. Right. At the end of the day, right. it's a show, isn't it? Yeah, it's a show and, you know, the integrity of, in my opinion, the integrity of the music is the most important thing. So making sure that, um, yes, it's a show, but I, I'm interpreting the music well and that the audience can really receive the music well and feel the emotion uh, and, and really hold on to the storytelling that the music is supposed to be doing. And how long does it take then, Agent, to become a conductor? I mean... Do you start off at the very bottom and you have to train with other more experienced conductors, professional conductors, and then eventually then you pass exams or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole um, there's a whole major for a conducting. I, I wasn't a conducting major. And, and even in conducting, you have choral conducting and you have like marching band conducting, instrumental conducting. So there's, you know, there's studies that that really indicate how you're supposed to conduct and how you're supposed to study the score and know the instruments uh, inside and out. And so there's a lot of that that goes into it. And you can study that at the university level, but also just being in front of an ensemble and just, like you said, starting from, from scratch and, and maybe conducting a, a church ensemble and really getting the experience to uh, build up to the professional level. So what about them for say composing music is is i mean i'm i'm sure or i'm aware that the industry can be quite competitive so how easy or difficult is it to get the music out there but actually get it to an audience because you is there a bit of luck involved as well the reason i'm asking this question is that you know the reality of any job we can train as hard as we can we can work as hard as we can but a mm -hmm. little bit of luck probably that you need from time to time to get your music out there. I mean, the reality of the industry, is that is it like that sometimes? As a composer, yeah, it's very difficult. It's, it, I'm, I can't lie. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to get your music out there. Um, I do think social media has kind of alleviated some of the, the gatekeeping to that. Right. Um, I do think it's more accessible to a wider audience now and if you are pretty crafty and you know how to access an audience and how to add value and give value to an audience i think you can reach a lot of people 
without the gatekeepers who are going to say, uh, well, only this is going to be programmed, you know, at this point. Yeah. So I do that too. You know, I, so I, I just released a, a piece yesterday on social media, on YouTube and Facebook and all that. And it's a solo violin piece. Um, and I'm sure uh, there's publishing houses who want nothing to do with it, but I love it. I believe in the music yes. and I think it's a value and accessible. And I think you would, um, I, I think a lot of people would be interested in play violin. So I released it uh, yesterday and hopefully people enjoy it and it makes people smile and makes people want to play and have fun. It's, with it's it, great, it's great so. you have the passion because irrelevant of, you know, the, the, the industry, it, it's if you love it and you're driven and you just keep moving forward with it. And that's why, you know, anybody listening to this podcast, um, Adrian is, a, is, is an example of that. It's like, just, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. If it's a passion and a love, keep on doing it. So I'm going to, I'm going to make you embarrassed now, Adrian. So we all have that one guilty pleasure of a song that we maybe have listened to in high school. So I think you're a big NSYNC fan. Am I joking? Um, so <laughs> <laughs> is there any song or any artist which would go against the grain of what you're doing at the moment? So, you know, mm. ACDC, um, you know, Eminem, you know, after Dre, oh. all this kind of stuff. Is there anything that you kind of you've kept it hidden for all these years that you just want to let it out now and let everybody know? <laughs> I you know, I don't think so. I'm kind of straight laced and, and boring. You know I'll say I don't listen to anything crazy. I listen to a lot of uh reggae growing up and I listen okay. to a lot of classical music because my dad was very insistent that at, at the dinner table oh we listen to classical music right that was just something that he he uh had us do as a family and then um here is the nerdy thing about me that it's okay. kind of embarrassing but i i listen to a lot of my stuff my music i so if you get in the car with me <laughs> you're, you're going to be your hearing, music. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be hearing adrian gordon playing <laughs> but you know there's nothing wrong it's with because, that. <laughs> no, it's because I love it. I really I enjoy what I do. I enjoy the, the music that I'm creating. And um, I always try and listen to it from somebody else's perspective. So every time I listen to it, I'm thinking, oh, what would, if I were so-and-so, what would I be hearing right now? Or right. if I were this person, what would I be hearing this time I'm listening to it? And then if I'm this person, what else would I want to hear? And how, what, how would I compose the next piece to to please that or to you know scratch that itch for that person so i'm always listening with a critical ear uh to see if i can be better do better um but and i know it's kind of nerdy but i don't care I, I love cool. it. yeah self-praise <laughs> self-praise is, is high praise so what about then for you mentioned critic i mean the critical ear so how then do you react to somebody that tells you they don't like your music, or maybe that could be a little bit different. So if there's any composers out there, anybody that writes music, what would mm -hmm. you say to them to kind of ignore that? Or do you take it on board to improve? Well, um, it's this is a kind of a long-winded answer, but so I started composing music, I would say back in 2006, 2007, um, and what I was doing, I was teaching and it was, I was composing music for strings and I would not put my name on the music and I would pass it out to students just to see what they thought, see if this was something that they found interesting. And the students enjoyed it. You know, to my surprise, students were liking it. And that's when I started to feel like, okay, maybe I, I'm onto something. Right. Um, so the next step in, in, in the sequence of events was, Hey, I should send these pieces to publishing houses to see if they'd be interested in publishing my music. And, you know, without fail, I got resounding no, 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 publisher after publisher. And that's kind of defeating. And I'm thinking to myself, what is the disconnect here? I have students who don't know it's me um, composing the music that enjoy it. But then I have people in publishing houses and boardrooms saying, no, we don't like this music. And they're the ones who are creating content 
for uh, for students. Right. So <clears throat> at that point, I had a, a had you know had an option. I could stop composing and writing altogether, or I could be the change that I wanted to see in my life. So I just created my own publishing company. And the whole time I'm thinking as the students are playing the music and enjoying, and I'm thinking, hey, this is kind of the music. I'm, I take pride in what I do and not in a conceited way, but I, I love, I love what I'm writing and it's special, almost like a leap year. And I said, okay, why don't I come up with my own publishing company called leap year music? And it's going to be an exclusive collection of music that I believe in. And um, so through uh, through Leap Your Music, I've been putting music out for the past 14 years uh, of my own because I believe in it. And the rejection, it's not going to stop me. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing until God calls me home. Um, but, uh, you know, I love what I do and I believe in what I'm doing. And, um, you know, I, I, I hear no's a lot, but. It is what it is. Um, there's something for everybody. So whatever creative channel you find yourself in, somebody out there likes it. Somebody enjoys it. Yeah. Now the hard part is it's a matter of finding those people and serving those people and adding value to those people. That's the hard part. So in a roundabout way, yes, I do hear no often, but I keep going and I, I continue to be the change that I want to see in my life. And, um, you know, don't let it, don't let it hold you back. I think it's important to hear uh, criticism and see if there are ways to improve. Um, um, but all in all, you gotta, you gotta continue. You gotta keep going. You gotta keep moving forward, work hard. Yeah. Um, continue to improve. Um, that's how I see it. No, that's pretty good advice. Um, it's, it's interesting you said that about the nose. There was a, I was watching a show there a few weeks back, and there was an actor, and I think he was a PA before uh, many years ago, before he became a famous actor. And he says mm -hmm. that they used to get lots of envelopes. We used to come in for the casting, and say there was fifty or sixty envelopes, and you mm -hmm. would think from potential actors and he was just told that oh, we don't have time just pick three from the bundle mm. and then the rest <laughs> whatever happened to the rest so it is as you said yourself it's it's you know whoever's listening to this don't be knocked back by um, being knocked back just keep on keep on moving forward and, and drive if you have a passion for it just 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 keep on doing it so let's move on then Adrian to mm -hmm. the steps to becoming a music teacher so what are those steps simplistic so, yeah, if, if I'm keeping it as simple as possible, I would say that you have to be a musician. Right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good start. The, that's a good start. Um, but yeah, I think first being a musician and then studying and understanding how, like I, I talked about earlier, being the most refined musician that you can so that you are able to pass along that knowledge um, and bring value to your students. Um and, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So I studied music at the university level. I studied uh, on, on the violin. That's my principal instrument. Um, so, I, and I played in ensembles. I played in an orchestra. I was in a chorale. I was in a jazz vocal ensemble. I was in a percussion ensemble. Um, you know, I was in chamber groups. So as much musical exposure as you can get, so that you can then pass that along to your students. That's really what you want to do um, to give them a well-rounded experience and background. So yeah, there's that component of, of the study and, and the experience and gathering all your experiences and then figuring out how you're going to best communicate that uh, to your students. Talk about cost. How much are we talking about? So look from both sides. So you training as the musical teacher and mm -hmm. then on the opposite side uh those training to be in music so both sides so for yourself how much would it have cost to go through all that training to get where you are now is it expensive mm -hmm. you don't have to give me a rough like you don't have to give me like thousands or whatever but is it a, is it a bit of investment that you have to put in yeah it's just like a, i mean i got a degree so i have a degree in music 
um, two degrees in music. So um, just like going to university and, and you're, you're paying tuition, um, how, whatever university it is that you're going to, a um, couple thousand dollars and a lot of hours and a lot of studying, a lot of practicing. Um, and like I said, just being the most refined musician that you, you can be. Um, but that was, that's the basic process that, you know, you're, you're going to study a lot. And my particular degree was four years, my right. undergrad. So I did four years in undergrad and then I did uh, two years for my graduate studies in music education. So. And what about the students now that you have? I mean, is compared to maybe Europe or different countries, is the musical lessons funded or do the students have to pay themselves? How, how does that work? Or is scholarships about, or sponsorships? So at say, the university say the level? No, even for the junior level. So say the fifth grade, the the, the young lady you mentioned before. That uh, made it. Oh, okay. So if they were being trained now from a young age, are the lessons expensive? Is there is there sponsorship? Is there because I know different countries have different ways of of uh, yeah. You know they might they might give government grants or funding, but how how does that work? There's a mix, you know, I think the majority of people end up paying out of pocket for private lessons. Right. Um, and then a lot of public schools will have programs um, that are, you know, funded through the, through the uh, city. Um, and they will, you know, they'll set up a band, they'll set up an orchestra uh, for instrumental music. Um, but you also have programs that receive grant money and um, they might serve uh, under-resourced communities. Um, it just depends on where you are, I guess, in the country or in the world and how your particular area operates. Um, but for what I've seen, mo mostly, you know, back in F Florida, uh, my Florida, which is where I'm from, and now here in Charlotte, North Carolina, it's mainly been uh, students paying out of pocket um, in order to receive those kinds of uh, private lessons. Right. And so we'll move on then to your book. You mentioned there you're an author now, uh, mm -hmm. Note to Self. So what, what is the book about? I mean, we, we, we know we're chatting about transition to a new music teaching job. And yeah. is, is, is that generally the book? And what tips and suggestions does it have? Or is it, a life, well, is it about your life or your experiences? Yeah, it's a, it's a cross between um, advice for pre-service teachers and also for uh, experienced teachers, but those those educators who are moving into a new role. So the book the book is called Note to Self, a music director's guide for transitioning to a new school and building a thriving music program. So like I said, pre-service teachers or teachers who have been in the field for a while, now they're going into a new area or a new building or a new program so for an experienced teacher, they've been teaching for a while, but they haven't had to deal with the culture change, dealing right. with a, a brand new administration, brand new set of parents, brand new faculty, brand new building. Uh, you know, that's that that in itself is a big shift that you don't really learn how to do in school at the university level where you train to be a, an educator. Um, and the, the pre-service teacher who's about to step into the classroom They've never done any of these things. So right. I, I see this book as being helpful for, you know, on, on both ends of the spectrum. And the book is, uh, like I said, it's a cross between my own experiences and just uh, advice that I'm, I'm sharing. And it's just practical advice. So I've transitioned to several different positions within music. So I've been a general music teacher for, you know, here in the States, we call it kindergarten all the way through uh, fourth grade, I've been a choral director, I've been an assistant band director, and I've been an orchestra director. And I saw a lot of overlap in all those positions. Now, my last school that I was at, I had a particularly difficult time transitioning there, even though I had worn so many different hats. So I really had to sit down and think about why am I having a hard time? I had to journal about it. I had to talk to uh, colleagues about it talk to my best friend about it um and at the end of all of this kind of searching for my own answers i realized that this was a great resource that i had kind of pulled together so i i said i you know i should put this in book format and i think this would be valuable to other people 
So that's what I did. Um, and the way the book operates, it, it goes through some of the practical things that you're going to see as you enter a new role in a, in a new program or a new school. Um, so, for example, practical things like letting go, if you're an experienced teacher, letting go of your former role, not holding on to students uh, that you that you previously taught and making sure that your new students are aware that you're all in for them. Right. Um, practical things like building community. Um, other practical things like, oh, no, I've made this jump, but the grass isn't greener. You know, should I have stayed? Yes. What do you do? How do you navigate that? So the book is really specific to music educators um, who are shifting, but they never talked about these things in school. And, and that, that's the idea to really help music educators. You know, I dedicate the book to them. Um, and I can, I'll just read what the dedication is, but it says to my fellow music educators who tirelessly strive to leave our profession in better shape than they found it. And that's the idea, I think, um, for myself. I want to make yeah. sure I'm leaving the profession in better shape than I found it. And that's why I created the book, to help and add value to the, uh, to the field and uh, help, you know, help other music, music educators uh, in their career. Well, well, well done, you. I mean, you mentioned there about holding on, and I listened to that there. So is it difficult then, you know, you're going from a previous school and say, for example, the standard was quite high and the students mm-hmm. were quite switched on. Is it, how then can you explain that now to say a teacher transitioning? What, what advice would you have to them? I know you were saying that, you know, kind of be all in with these students, but say for example, your, your, your brain is telling you, these are not as good as those other students. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> is patience the key? Yeah, I, I know I've been through that myself. And I think the important thing for one is to meet your students where they are. Develop a level of excellence and expectation, but meet them where they are. So I always told my students, I don't care if we're playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. We're going to be, we're going to make sure that we're playing that at an excellent level. Right. We're going to feel proud to play that. So the level of music doesn't really matter, but it's the engagement, it's the discipline and the effort that I want to see that really rises to the occasion and really meets the expectation of excellence. So if you find yourself in that situation, I would say meet your students where they are, play what they can play, and then figure out a strategy. Okay, maybe one or two things that I can add um, to help them progress and help them um, learn something new this year. Right. Like you can't do it all in, 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 you know, a month or two months or even six months. It's going to, it's going to be a journey. It's not a sprint. So what can I do um, to make sure that they're learning something continuously over the course of a, of a year of a school year? That would be uh, my advice and, and make sure that whatever you're changing is incremental. Right. So if you come in and you're saying, hey, you you know, you're, you guys aren't as good as my old students. <laughs> for one, you're going to turn them off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're going to turn did, them off. Did and... you ever think, Adrian, that, you know, transition, say, for example, from the previous school to the, and you had you had one or two very good students from the previous and then the new students were up to that caliber, so to speak, in your own opinion or mind. Did you ever mm-hmm. think of bringing one of those students across to say, this is where you need to be because you know we see in sports and stuff like that. You'll always have somebody to kind of go up to that to that level, like a mentor or somebody that. I mean, is that just beyond total stupidity? I mean, you just don't do that because you ruin people's confidence. Yeah, you're gonna. It it will come across as as offensive and as though you are not truly invested in their development. You're still, like I said, you got to let go of your former role. You you've let go of that position, so you're. New students want to feel as though, hey, he or she is invested in me. And yes, they want to see me progress, but they're not going to do it in a way that's belittling or, or, you know, it diminishes where I am. So, again, meet your students where they are. Now, I think there's, you know, experts that you can bring in. You can bring in consultants or or, uh, adjunct faculty to come in maybe or people who like to volunteer who have experience on an instrument who can meet your students where they are and show them 
how to progress. And it comes across as just trying to be helpful and not, not in a comparative way. Like, Hey, you're not as good as so-and-so. So I'm bringing in this old student, you know, yeah. you just gotta be kind of delicate and gentle about that. Um, and also there's, there's videos that you can show students of, Hey, this is a great performance of maybe a piece or a tune that we're learning. Um, so let's take a listen and, and see what we like that we can adapt and bring into our own ensemble. But all those instances, we're not comparing, you know, your former work, you're meeting your students where they are, and you're moving forward together. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it makes makes perfect sense, especially from a, a musical dummy like myself. So where can you buy the book? Where the book can be got? Where is it? Yeah, <laughs> this, uh, so um, the book, it, uh, it just came out in the fall, and uh, it's available on Amazon. Um, just type in Adrian Gordon Note to Self, and it pops right up. Or people can go to directly to my website, uh, which is adriangordonmusic.com, and it's the first thing that you're going to see when you, when you open up that website, and you just click on the link, and it takes you right to it. Cool. I'm actually on your website. I'm actually nosing at your website as we as we uh, as we speak, and I can see the links oh, okay. there. Um, so just yeah. just in case I'm, I'm I'm moving away from the conversation slightly. So what else then? Uh, what services are? How did somebody get in touch with you, Adrian? So I mean, can you do mm-hmm. with the te- technology that we have now? I mean, say somebody in Ireland wants to get musical lessons, or they want to get information yeah. from you. Can you? Can you be their guy, their go-to guy? <laughs> yeah, I've been doing quite a bit of that. And I think COVID kind of opened up a lot of that kind of work, that um, uh, that virtual clinic work. So I've been doing a lot of sessions with schools and programs, uh, youth organizations uh, around the country. Um, you know, we'll just sit virtually and I, uh, the director there will be my proxy and I get feedback and insights into the music. Typically, they're they're playing a piece that I've composed, and I give them, you know, the firsthand composer insight and uh, just feedback on uh, some of the, the the nuances. Like, hey, maybe this phrase. Think about playing that a little heavier or more accented, or this section coming down so that the melody comes out. You know, whatever it is that they they may not have. Um, any clue about because they haven't spoken to the composer. So I, I do a lot of that kind of work. Um, I also do in-person ones where people will bring me out and say, hey, can you stay here and do like a, a residency, right. a two or three day residency and work with our students and, um, you know, lend your, your ear and your talent over to the students. So I've done a lot of that. And then also uh, I've been doing a lot of conducting, which has been a lot of fun. In uh, in the United States, we have most states have what we call an all state ensemble. So it's the top students in that state that come together, and they will perform. They'll rehearse and perform uh, a nice, really major concert with some really uh, challenging works, and they'll bring in a, a conductor. And I've been uh, fortunate and blessed enough to be uh, called called upon to conduct some of those ensembles uh, this year. So, and I've got a couple lined up for next year. So it's really, it's been fun. It's been a good time. And uh, I've enjoyed doing all those things, whether it's talking about the book or talking about my compositions or conducting. It's really been, it's been great. So you're global. You are global. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're everywhere. I wanted to ask you something before we go. So obviously the question I'll ask you first before we find out where we are on social media is, what was your inspiration mm-hmm. behind uh, uh, Apocalypse? Oh, Apocalypse. That's um that was a piece that I wrote back in twenty, I think thirteen or twenty twelve. I I, uh, I I've listened to it. I did like it a lot. It was it but I'd I'd like to know from from your why I I know the meaning behind it, but why why that? Yeah, and I, I mean I, I I won't divulge names or anything like that, but I was in a very difficult professional situation where I felt that my job was at risk because I didn't fit the mold for what people expected me or wanted me to be. Um, I think that might've had to do with the color of my skin. And, um, you know, so it was a dark time in my life and I typically express myself through music. Right. Um, 
so during that really difficult professional time, I uh, I ended up writing Apocalypse, and that was how my heart felt. That was a really heartfelt piece that kind of channeled channeled the energy that I was feeling at that time. And and did it? I mean, did it? The channel that feeling, and I'm sure there was frustration and anger, because um, mm-hmm. nobody likes being in an environment. Um, whether it be toxic or whatever you want to call it. Um, But, you know, for anybody listening to this as well, and that's part of why why the podcast is here, and they're feeling this frustration and they feel they might be overlooked based on certain factors, right, which Mm -hmm. we won't go into detail because we're talking about music here at the moment. But generally, how how, I know you, you, you compose this music and it helped, but... How did your emotions feel? I mean, were you frustrated? Were you angry? Were you were you confused? You know, just to help other other individuals who um, may be feeling similar. Can you go and talk to somebody? This probably sounds really silly. And I know we live in a world that you know you see in every what be social media, whatever. You know, talk to your friends, talk to your manager, talk to your boss. Did you feel you could talk to anybody in that situation and that point of your life that could resolve the situation or make you feel happier? Mm-hmm. I mean, I had friends and family to talk to, but in terms of professionally, somebody to help lift the toxicity away from me? No, I did not. No. Um, I, this was my outlet, you know. That I had. I, I want. I try and be positive. I try and do things that are healthy, and um, music is a healthy habit for me. So. Um, yeah, I, I channeled that energy and that emotion through the music. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can even pick it up from that piece, Apocalypse. It, it's a very unconventional piece because it's for a string orchestra and for a bass drum, which are two combinations you don't really see put together. Um, but it works, and um, it really it's it has this ominous feel to it, and that's what I was feeling at the time. I was pretty sad i just had my my first son was just born and and, you know i'm i'm thinking oh man i've got a (laughs) i've got a family to feed and yeah professionally i i'm i'm kind of in limbo and what do i do you know so this is this is how i felt at that time did you think something good came out of it i know by composing it i mean does that give you in that period of time of your life which is possibly a, a, a dark period, do you feel that, you know, you can always look back at that piece of beautiful music and that gives you inspiration continuously to move forward? I mean, it, 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 does it give you pride? That's what I'm trying to get at. Does it give you that hope? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm proud of that piece. Um, that I, I think, to my surprise, um, I think overseas they have it too, but here in the States, we have a lot of uh, music distributors and one of the largest music distributors here in the States is called JW Pepper. Right. And um, so with JW Pepper, they named that particular piece an editor's choice piece. So that's, that means it's a high valued piece that I think a lot of students and directors would enjoy playing and educationally it it does a lot for students um so it was kind of like one of their highlights of that year for 2013 uh their editor's choice selection so i was very proud of that and surprised because i you know it was such a dark time i hadn't written it with that intention i just wrote it because that was what i was going through um but it is still a source of pride and I think every time I, I, I write, proverbially pick up the pen to write, it always I'm always trying to write something um, that's close to the heart because I think good music does a lot of storytelling. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, you know, no matter what it is, I, I try and, and do that. And I think I accomplished that with a lot of the pieces that I've written. And yeah, to this day, I'm still proud of it. No, you've done brilliant. I mean, do you think um, now things have improved compared to the situation you experienced during that time? I mean, is there systems in place? Is there people that other people can go to talk to if they have these issues? I mean, has it improved, do you think, in your own opinion? And you don't have to go to too much detail about what happened, but... Mm. 
looking back, do you think it's gotten better? I think yes. I, um, you know, we you talked about earlier the sting of rejection. Yeah. Where rejection isn't confined to just music. It can it can be in personal relationships and it can be professionally. Um and I and I'm I think to one of my favorite movies is Rocky Balboa. And, oh yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it's the one that came out, I think it was two thousand six, and he's talking to his son and he says, you know, you let somebody wave a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. Yep. Um and he goes on to talk about how it's not about how hard you hit, how, how hard, hard you, you can get, get hit you can and get keep hit moving forward. <laughs> and keep moving forward. Yeah. And um, so have things gotten better in some ways and in some ways, no. Um, you know, I, I, I went on to have a, my next employer kind of be even worse <laughs> than than that but it's okay you know it's not like like the quote says it's not about how hard you can hit but how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward it's amazing. that's what i continue to do it's, it's amazing you said that Adrian, because i have that statement on my wall so oh, okay. I, actually, I actually bought it was the it was the uh rocky balboa sylvester Stallone. um it's kind of like it's in black and white and then he's standing on one side on the left side is all the words and if you're having mm. a bad day, I just look at that and and off I go. So it's uh, no, it's amazing right. that you've 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 uh, that's related. It's amazing. There must be certain things that people latch on to, and it keeps them, you know, driving forward and moving forward. So so well done you. And um, so before we go, where are you on all these wonderful social media platforms? Are you on the LinkedIn? The the Instagram, oh, yeah. the Tiki Talks. <laughs> I'm not on TikTok, but I, I I'm on a couple of them. So I'm on Facebook pretty prominently. I'm also on uh, LinkedIn. I'm also on YouTube. So YouTube is another one I'm on pretty prominently, and then on Instagram and on Twitter. So all you know those five people can check me out on super so thank you so much i'm going to go through all of this now to composer conductor author performer music educator adrian gordon for chatting today on the well-being and career with podcast once the podcast has been approved i'll put all the links in to adrian um all of his social media channels youtube channel and information of how you can uh, buy his book and get in touch with him so all of a sudden we say thanks so much to adrian for chatting with me today thank you adrian thank you david